And so what do you say we read from the book of Job? I will only read, as of right now, I'm only going to read the first five verses. Um, and so let's, let's read together. Um, Job 1, verses 1 through 5, and it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go um, and hold a feast in the house of each one, sorry, of each one on, his, on this day. And they would send an invite. Oh, my word. Sorry. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send a, and consecrate their family. And we would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children may have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, um, Job did continually. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, as we look at your scripture, Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, to our hearts today, that as we uh, struggle, Lord, with this question, that we would keep our eyes placed in the things that are above and that we would have an understanding, Lord, to be able to, to see uh, the good that there is, even in the midst of suffering. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So we just read the first five verses. And so the, the book starts introducing to us the central character of the book, which is the, you know, Job. Uh, if you're not familiar with Job, uh, let me just give you a spoiler alert. Uh, things go downhill from here pretty quickly, okay? Uh, Job will suffer and he will a lot. But for the moment, what we see here is that the, the author is introducing us to Job. And I want, you to, I want you to see one thing, a couple of things from this. But, but the main thing I want you to see is that since we have no control over our trials, we can trust God when we suffer. Here, we see Job, and, the Job, and Job is being introduced to us as a godly man. It, tell, it tells us here, the Bible tells us that he was a man that was blameless and upright, one who feared God and who turned away from evil. The King James Version actually says that Job was perfect, that he was a perfect man. Does that mean that he was sinless? Absolutely not. But what it means is that he was a man that sought to do good. He was a man that feared God and that ran away from evil. And um, he was not only a good man in the sense that, you know, your mama thinks you're a good guy, but he was a good man in the sense that God bragged about him, that God said that he was uh, faithful. God said that he feared him and that he backed away from evil. He, he ran away from evil. Job was a good, good guy. And yet, Job suffered. The, sen the second thing I want you to see is that Job was a wealthy man. As a matter of fact, uh, scholars think that he may have been the richest man in the world at the time. He was the Bill Gates of his time. He was loaded. He had 7,000 sheep, 300,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. And he didn't only just have those animals, but he had people that took care of those animals. So that's a lot of money this guy had. Job was loaded, and yet Job suffered. 
Job is also a family man. Here, the, the, the author tells us that Job, as his children were partying out, you know, like at home and celebrating their birthdays, he would go and sacrifice and say, just in case my children have sinned against God, I will sacrifice and consecrate them. Job was a good father. He was a good guy. And yet, Job suffered. We sometimes... Um, deceive ourselves into thinking that only if we do the right thing, that only if I'm a good guy, things are going to work out for me perfectly. Right? Or we may be tempted to think if I only had more money, if I only had more things, if I only were in a better financial position, hardship wouldn't be coming my way. But do I need to remind you that in the last couple of weeks, we lost Kate Spade. We lost Anthony Bourdain, people who had money, people who had fame, people that had everything that some of us aspired at, you know, at some point in our lives. Some of us may have thought, if I only had what they had, I would finally be happy and life would be easy. And yet their wealth and their fame did not guard them from suffering. Because suffering is no respecter of persons. Tragedy hits us all. And I'm not just being negative. I'm just being real. All of us, you and I, are all only a text message or a phone call away from our lives being radically changed. We have no control over whether suffering is going to come our way or not. We don't get to decide whether we suffer or not. We don't get to choose when or how we will suffer because we are limited and because we are not in control. But the good news is that we serve a God that we can trust because he is not limited because he is in control and we get to trust that God. Anything that Job did, nothing that Job did, nothing that Job owned nothing that Job ever said protected him from suffering because he wasn't in control and yet we serve a God who is in control and we're going to look at him right now in action we're going to read a lengthier portion right now we're going to read verses uh, 1 6 to uh, 2 8 and so bear with me because this is going to be long okay But this is what it says. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he he has is in your hand. Only, uh, Only against them do not stretch your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in, in their oldest brother's house. The oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them um, and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
While he was yet speaking, there, there came another one and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Um, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to the present, uh, sorry, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also um, among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with a loathsome sores, uh, from loads, with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery in which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. So, suffering hit Job pretty bad. Job was a wealthy man. Job was a great man. And from and one day, he lost all his wealth, and he lost all his children. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to lose a child. And I know that some of you may actually know that from experience. But on top of that, he lost not only a child, but he lost all of his children. He lost all of his money. He lost all of his servants, everything in one day. In the passage we just read, we see, we, we are able to see behind the veil, right? We are able to see things that Job didn't see. We are able to see, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. We see a God that is seated on the throne and where his servants are presenting themselves before him. And there comes Satan and tell, and God asks him, where are you coming from? And he said, well, come, you know, he's bragging about whatever he's doing in the on earth. And God tells Satan, have you considered my servant Job. And this is when we know that Job or his suffering didn't come because of anything he had done. He didn't earn it, but it came because God allowed it. The second thing I want you to see today is that because God sits on the throne, we can trust him when we suffer. Because God sits on the throne, we can trust him when we suffer. 
And from this passage I just read, I want to point out three specific things. Number one, the God that you and I serve is sovereign. The God that you and I serve is sovereign and is in control of everything. I want to draw your attention to the fact that during this whole thing, God was seated on his throne. God was not taken by surprise when Job suffered. The whole time he was sitting on the throne, he remained in control. And let me tell you something to encourage you this morning. In the same way that God was sitting on his throne whilst Job suffered, God is seated on the throne today as some of you may be facing trials. Your suffering did not take God by surprise. Whatever is going on in your life, let me tell you something. God's hands are not tied. He is not absent, but he remains on the throne. Not only is God seated on the throne, but you might be surprised to notice that this entire conversation with Satan was actually initiated by God himself. It was, it was God that brought up the name of Job. Which leads me to the next truth from this passage. There is no dualism. Let me explain that in case you're not familiar with what dualism is. But if you know me at all, and some of you don't, which is okay. You would know that I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm a nerd. And it's okay because it's cool these days. If you walk into my son's room, you will find a lot of Star Wars stuff. He thinks it's for him. <laughs> but then the, what I'm trying to say is I love Star Wars, right? But the fact that I love those movies, the fact that I enjoy, you know, playing with lightsabers, uh, it doesn't mean that I'm unaware of some of the things that are actually wrong with the movie. With the whole idea of Star Wars. One of the tragedies of Star Wars is the theology behind the movie. It's something we call dualism. And dualism is this idea that there are two forces, right? And Star Wars is the light side of the force against the dark side of the force. That there are two equal forces and that they're struggling. And hopefully one day the light side of the force will win. And the tragedy of the soul is not the movie. But the fact that this theology has seeped into the church. And so often do I see stuff being posted on Facebook that reminds me that some believers believe in dualism. There are some believers that think that God and Satan are wrestling. And that with our help, maybe God will eventually win. But we look at this scene and we know that's not the case at all. We have a God that is seated on the throne. We have a God that is in control. We have a God that is not freaking out. He's seated on the throne and we have an enemy that is a dog on a leash. We have an enemy that even needs permission to even address God. Who needs permission to even touch the children of God. They're not equals. We have a God that is good. We have a God that is in control. So there is no dualism. 
that means that nothing happens to you or to me that takes God by surprise. This means that not only does God know about your suffering, but not only does he know about your suffering, but he also has a specific purpose behind it. He didn't allow you to suffer because his hands were tied. He did not allow you to suffer or to go through trials because he has no idea what he's doing. He allows you to suffer because he has a purpose behind it. Which leads me to my next point from this passage we just read, which is that Job's trials were not punitive. Job's suffering was not punitive. That means God was not punishing Job. Do you know how many times I hear this question, Christian, why is God punishing me? Let me tell you something. God was not punishing Job. And if you are a child of God, God will never punish you. Because of the cross, Jesus took all our punishment. Because of the cross, he received the punishment that you and I surely deserve. And he took it upon his shoulders. And you and I are not punished by God. There's a big difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment comes from wrath. Discipline comes from love. God loves us. And because he loves us, he disciplines us. He refines us and he helps us to grow in our joy and our love for him. And sometimes he does that through suffering. Why? I don't know. But what I do know is that the biggest gift that I've received in my life, the most beautiful thing that I have ever received, that will ever receive in my life, came through the suffering of someone who did not deserve to suffer. And that was Jesus on the cross. Joni Erickson Tata, I don't know if you know Joni Erickson Tata, but if you don't know, I would recommend you look her up. She's a lady that when she was 17 years old, she jumped into the water in a lake or something. She struck her head and she became quadriplegic. So she knows a little bit about suffering. And she says this, she says, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God is not punishing you. If you are a child of God and you're suffering today, it's not because God is punishing you. It's not because God doesn't love you, but it is because he loves you and he wants you to one day be able to say like Job, I had my, with my ears, I heard about you, but today's my eyes see you. God is not punishing his children. If God cuts you, he does so as a surgeon who cuts to heal and not want to harm. This reminds me of a couple of months ago. I don't know if you saw my, my little daughter, Nora. She's a year old. And when you're a baby, you get a lot of shots, right? And I remember whenever I was holding my daughter in front of the doctor, she's all happy you know, she's playing around and I see the nurse with two, you know, uh, vaccines, right? And I know what's happening. She has no idea. And so I start holding her and the nurse comes and hurts her. And I can remember her face looking at me, screaming. 
screaming and she says she has no words, but I can, I understand her cries of her telling me, why are you allowing this? Why are you okay with this mean lady hurting me? (laughs) And I know that though she will not understand for a long time, I know that it's good for her. And in the same way, you and I might never understand why God allows us to go through hard times. We may not understand why God, why God will allow us to, to be hurt. And yet we can trust him that as a good father, he's doing it for our benefit, for our joy and for his glory. Now, as I said at the beginning, we all suffer. We all suffer. And if you haven't, I don't mean to be negative here, but you will one day suffer. Let me tell you something. The the way that we deal with our suffering will either increase our joy or it will lead us to bitterness. The same suffering that causes some to be, to draw near to God, to grow in their thankfulness, to grow in their joy will cause others to grow bitter and cold and will be resentful. And so the question is, how then do we deal with suffering? What is the right way to deal with suffering? How do we prepare for suffering? Why don't we keep reading our passage and we'll see that the way we respond to suffering reveals whether we trust God in our suffering. In verses 9 and 10 of Job, after Job suffered. Now, let me just remind you of something. This book is about Job, right? Uh, that he has the title of the, of, of the book. We got to remember that Job had a wife. Job had a wife, was the mother of those 10 children that just died. This was a wife that will be de- deeply affected by the same suffering of Job. And yet Job and his wife react in two very different ways. Now, I want to give her grace because we wouldn't have much information about her. I don't want to judge her too harshly because I don't know what she was going through. But I want you to look at this passage, just verses 9 and 10. After, after Job loses his, his wealth, he loses his family, and then he even loses his health. This is what his wife says. Verse nine says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one foolish, as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good uh, good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, here are two drastically different ways to respond to suffering. We have Job's wife who shakes her fist at God, who looks at Job and says, are you a fool? Just curse your God and die. In her anger, she questions God. In her anger, she questions why even Job would hold on to his faith. She grows bitter and in despair, it seems like. I don't know what happens at the end. Well, I, we do. We'll see at the end. Um, but from those few words, we can see that her response is so different to Job's. And you know why this is? Because when we don't have a framework for suffering, 
We are in, the, in danger of falling into the pits of bitterness or hopelessness. And so let us prepare our hearts. Let's look at Job, whose response was very different. Job's response was mourning and worship. As soon as all these things happened, Job mourned. He felt the pain. He wept bitterly, I'm sure. But he did all these things in submission to God. According to scripture, Job did what was accustomed at the time, which was that he took his robe, he tore it, and he shaved his head. And let me tell you something. It's okay for us to mourn. Can I tell you that? It's okay for you to mourn. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you have gone through. But it's okay for us to mourn and to lament. Please don't ever feel like you have to put up a front and pretend that you're not hurting. Especially at church. Don't ever come here thinking that you have to pretend you have this all figured out. That you have to pretend that you're all happy and clappy at all times despite what's going on in your life. You don't have to do that. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to lament. He mourned and then he worshiped. Here we see Job falling to the ground, not in defeat, but in worship. That doesn't mean, like I said, that he was happy and clappy. That doesn't mean that, that he busted out singing. Because worship is not just singing. Worship is a posture of our hearts, a submission to God's will. Worship is seeing God for who he truly is. Job worshiped and lament. In verse 21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Later, he says, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Now, when I first read this, I got to tell you, I was saying, whoa, 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 Job. Why are you accusing God of sending you evil, right? But then if you keep reading, the very next sentence says this, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job is not accusing God of evil, but what God is saying is, if I can receive the blessings of God, why can't I receive the hard times that come with them as well? Job understands that when God cuts you, he does it as a surgeon that is there to heal you and not to harm you. Like I said a minute ago, if you are suffering today, please feel free, feel, feel free to mourn. Please feel free to lament. I think a lot of times Christians, we, 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 we ask people, how are you doing? Like, good, good, good. Hallelujah, brother. <laughs> right? But did you know that our lament honors God? As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Psalms, over one third of the Psalms are songs of lament. And you know why your lament honors God? Because when you come to him like David with complaints, when you come to him like David, I don't understand what you're doing, God. Even if you don't understand, even if you're annoyed with God, your lament honors him because it recognizes that he ultimately is in control. Our God is a God that loves us and cares deeply for us. God doesn't want to just hear you when you're singing his praises, but he also wants to hear you 
whenever you're suffering. Will you trust God with your suffering? Will you trust him during your trials? Would you trust that he is present when you can't hear him, when you can't see him? Would you trust that he, as the Bible says, he collects your tears and he's then there with you in your pain? That the comforter, the Holy Spirit is with you? Let me tell you something. I sometimes think that, I sometimes think that some of us as believers look at God and imagine God as a doctor in the emergency room who is freaking out, who has no idea what's going on, and he's just trying to manage everything that's coming his way. But our God is not a doctor in the emergency room. He is a good surgeon that remains in control the whole time. And for that, we can trust him. Let me take you to my last point, which is this. Christ's finished work on the cross reminds us that we can trust God in our suffering. I am aware of the fact that I've spoken for now 35 minutes and that I'm about to wrap up and I still haven't answered the question, why do bad things happen to good people? The reason I haven't answered that question is because I think the question itself is sometimes more of a veiled accusation towards God's character than a question that is asking or looking for answers. I want to close this morning to invite you, no, by inviting you to look at this in a different way. What if instead of looking for an explanation that our minds may never understand, we look to, to receive a revelation of the one who was truly innocent and truly suffered, and he did it for our sake. Warren Worsby said, when you, and I tr- uh, when you and I hurt deeply, what we really need is not an explanation from God, but a revelation of God. We need to see how great God is. We need to recover our lost perspective on life. Things get out of proportion when we are suffering, and it takes a vision of something bigger than ourselves to get life's dimensions adjusted again. Is it possible that if God has a, had a purpose for the innocent son of God to die crucified on the cross, is it possible that he has a purpose for your suffering? Is it possible that the trial you are going through today might lead you to a place where you can, like Job, say one day, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. If you go all through all the way through the book of Job, after Job laments, after he mourns, after he spends time with some foolish friends that are trying to help him in the midst of his troubles, he ends up questioning God. And God reminds him of how limited he is in his understanding, how limited he is in his ability to change things. But at the end, Job says, I now see you. Job's joy was actually expanded through his suffering. His vision of God grew all the more because he suffered. And so my prayer is that if you are going through suffering today, you would be able to one day say like Charles Spurgeon, 
who said, I have learned to kiss the waves that threw me up against the rock of ages. My prayer is that this wave of trials is one that throws you on the rock of ages, that pushes you toward God, that, that pushes your eyes and your sight to the God that is in control, to a God that is not limited, to a God that cares deeply about you. To a God that loves you so much that he is willing to allow what he hates to accomplish what he loves. My prayer for us this morning is that when we suffer, we might keep our eyes on the fact that God remains seated on the throne. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. But he does. And I trust him. And my hope is that from hearing the story of Job, and, and I would invite you to go and read it, that you may come to the same place and say, I don't know, I don't care, but I trust him. I hope, my hope is that our joy might be deepened and our eyes may be open to the beauty of Christ in the midst of our trials. And with that, would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Father, because in your word we find hope for a future and glory. Father, in your word we find hope that no matter what our trials are, they are always temporary. That no matter what our trials are, that our suffering is today, Lord, we can trust that you will deepen our joy through them. We can trust that you're not punishing us. But if you allow this to happen, Lord, it's for our good and for your glory. Father, my prayer is that if there is anyone here that is in the midst of trials, that is going through a moment, a time of suffering, Lord, I even heard this morning that there were a couple of people here that lost their grandmothers this, you know, the last few days. Father, would you comfort them? Would you enter their pain? Would you bring them hope? Would you deepen their joy? Father, may you lift their eyes so that they will be able to see the things that are above. Father, give us the ability to trust you. And Father, not just to f blindly follow or blindly trust, but Father, may we trust you because there is evidence that there is a God that is almighty and powerful and who cares may we trust you lord no matter what we're going through today father i pray as well for those who may have at some point lord been shaking their fist at you would you bring comfort to them today would you remind them lord that you are god and that you are seated on the throne in the name of jesus we pray this morning amen